a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 130 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast application and share the podcast with your friends on your favorite social media outlet. I'm here in the almost world-famous Say the Damn Score studio in my basement office in Burnsville, Minnesota. The high school sports shutdown continues in Minnesota, so there really isn't much to report on the broadcasting front. Uh, I'm just trying to prepare in any way I can, uh, develop scenarios, find broadcasters, find sponsors, and do the best I can with uh, limited and constantly changing information. This show is the final of five guest-hosted shows that I had recorded by friends of mine in the business to help me uh, keep the show going during Sarah and I's very challenging family situation that we just went through. The next episode after this one will be back to traditional episodes uh, where I do the interview, and I already have one recorded, and it really felt good getting back in the saddle, doing the interview on my own. However, this episode is not that one. This one is hosted by my good friend, John Thayer. He is the football and radio voice of the University of South Dakota Coyotes. Don't call them coyotes. They will hurt you. He chats with one of his mentors, Matt Coatney, who is the women's basketball voice of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, also helps out with their pre-, post-, and halftime shows, and has just a ton of personality, and really opened up and shared some really interesting things uh, as part of this interview. This interview with John and Matt was recorded in early October, so I've been sitting on it for a while and that's my fault, not theirs. There's a few moments, especially towards the beginning, where they refer to things that have yet to happen, that have since happened, and I decided to leave them in because ultimately the topics of the discussions are still relevant. A lot of it is about COVID-19, and all of the same stuff with COVID-19 that was relevant in October ultimately is still pretty darn relevant now. So I left it all in. Please don't let it bother you too much. We'll be back to uh, normal episodes. But again, this is a really good episode with John and Matt. And without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to them. I'm John Thayer, guest hosting on Say the Damn Score podcast. It's great to be with you and uh, help out our, our good friend Logan Anderson, who's done a tremendous job with Say the Damn Score over the last several years. And I know he's built uh, quite the following, so we're glad to uh, help out. And when Logan reaches out to people, he talks to people in this broadcasting business that some of them he knows and some of them he is meeting for the first time when he has these conversations or when he reaches out to him. And when he asked me if I would guest host 
his podcast, uh, it was very very easy for me to decide who I uh, uh, wanted to reach out to and see if he was interested, and that is Matt Coatney, who is the play-by-play voice of the University of Nebraska women's basketball team and uh, also a big part of the football broadcast on the Husker Sports Network. And, and I've been fortunate to know Matt for, for several years and dating back to when I reached out to him when I was in college uh, years ago, and we've been able to cross paths a couple of times. So really uh, grateful for him to, to give us some time. Matt, Matt, it's always great to talk to you. And I know all of this has been crazy with what we are doing in our jobs in this time, in this pandemic. So I'm curious, what have you done with yourself to try to stay busy without fall football the way that we anticipated having uh, the football seasons? Well, first of all, John, it is a pleasure and an honor to be talking to you, and I have admired your career path, and so uh, always a pleasure to, to catch up with you. People ask me that question. It's the number one question I get from fans, just what you asked me, and my first thing I said is I've been researching needlepoint classes, and I can't find any. So having failed that, I've been uh, trying to watch whatever sports is uh, available right now. And, you know, there's a lot of pro sports. I'm a big St. Louis Cardinals fan. But keeping my eye on the pulse of where college football is going. What are these conferences doing? I'm trying to become an expert on mitocarditis and antigen testing. And because, you know, at some point, that becomes a real factor here. You know, we used to have to explain to people the difference between a red dog and a 4-3. Now we have to explain how people are testing for COVID-19 and heart issues. So really, you know, my my thumbs kind of explode every night from refreshing my Twitter feed. Um, thankfully, I haven't had to get a new phone. Uh, I haven't had to get a new Twitter account. But that's what I've been doing It's just trying to follow what seems to be news that changes by the second in the world of football, it, I would like to get back to fans asking me, why doesn't Nebraska go back to the fullback? How come Nebraska isn't good at punting when they were for all those years? I love answering those questions. I don't want to answer questions about what's the difference between an antigen test and a non-antigen test. So that's what I've been doing. You know, I've always said the closest I'll ever be to being a doctor is editing audio. The closest I'll ever be to surgery is editing an interview. The way you're describing it, we're getting closer and closer to being doctors with all this information we've learned here over the last several months. Well, here's the thing, is that there are so many so-called experts out there that I I might test out. You know, if there's one of those CLEP tests for mitocarditis or antigen testing, uh, maybe I'll take it because, you know, apparently you could be a politician and be an expert or you could be a sportscaster or a football coach or a, or a conference commissioner maybe. But uh, I'm making light of this, and it's really not a, a subject to make too much light of. But uh, it's it, to, to answer your question, I, I do feel like I owe it to the fans to know enough about how we've gotten to the point we've gotten to based on largely medical decisions and medical concerns and, you know, how these players are staying safe. I, I, I don't want anybody to think I'm, I'm, I'm making light of a very, very, very serious pandemic, but it, there is a lot going on out there. And so I've really tried to, 
at least have a baseline knowledge that I can answer those questions as it relates to sports. Well, and somebody in your position, and for a position like uh, many of us do have, there are fans out there on both sides of the fence here. Some fans are uh, wearing masks and doing everything that they're being told to try to harness this thing, and other people just want to go out and, and live their lives and say that football needs to be played. And it can put somebody like yourself, a, a broadcaster, in a very difficult uh, situation when people are saying, why the heck aren't we playing when other other teams are trying to play? And really, it's completely out of your control. How do you handle those conversations as someone who is uh, very active on social media? Yeah, that's exactly right. Being active on social media, I've always had these rules. I always try to be informative, interesting, or funny. And I, you know, I would hope that if somebody reads my Facebook, my Snapchat, or my social, or, or Twitter, they can't tell what political leanings I have. Because I really don't think that has anything to do with sports. Unfortunately, we've come to a point with this in where some people think sports has become politicized. Now, that's a conversation for another day, but trying to ride that rail and trying to give people a very honest, objective view is extraordinarily hard right now. For example, I stopped retweeting a lot of things that you see from Brett McMurphy and Nicole Auerbach about Notre Dame tested 300 people and had four positive cases in the last week. I used to think that was interesting. It met my guideline for interesting. But there's a certain segment of fans who are like, what agenda are you trying to push by retweeting this? Whoa. Okay, I'm not trying to set any kind of agenda here, but there's a certain amount of people who thinks that's what's going on. So I've had to readjust myself to thinking, how does this affect the average Husker football fan? And really, Notre Dame's testing has nothing to do with the Big Ten, especially now with the protocols the Big Ten has put into place and some very strong protocols, I might add. So I've had to adjust that. And then also... If someone wants to ask me about how I feel about, you know, some of the things that have gone on, I, I really try and say, well, how do you feel about it? And really try and gauge their sense of what's going on. Because very early on, I was very outspoken about saying, look, if there's any degree of not knowing if this is safe, we should not be playing sports. And I went back to what the NBA did uh, back in, March, and I remember Ben McLaughlin on our Sports Nightly show, and Ben does a great job along with Greg Sharp and hosting Sports Nightly every night. He had me on after the Big Ten men's tournament got canceled, and he said it was the day the College World Series got canceled. This is in March, John. And and he said, you know, you're a big baseball fan. This is going to be devastating to you. And I said at that time, Ben, we got to worry about football season. And I, I, I kind of kicked him aback by that because I was already looking at football back on March 13th. I said, this this is really not going to be, we're not going to be in any kind of a different situation, I don't think. So when people ask me about those things, I try to turn the conversation around because I'm not going to change your opinion. I really don't think so. I, no matter how you feel about many things that are controversial, I don't think I'm going to change your opinion. I will give you information about how it's going to affect your team, specifically since I cover Nebraska. If, if I think I'm starting to run along the lines of trying to change your mind, I'm probably going to back off a little bit. 
Well, if that's what your crystal ball said back in uh, March, I hope you can look in that thing and tell us something more positive here going forward <laughs> anytime that you're ready. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I, I really think, yeah, exactly. I, I do think, like about anything, you know, I became more attractive to women once women told me I don't like your deodorant, I don't like your cologne, I don't like your hair. Well, I fixed my deodorant, my cologne, and my hair. I think people are learning more how to play sports with this. You know, uh, I think the college has learned a lot from pro sports. Everybody looked at the NBA and went, well, how can we bubble up here? And it's very hard to bubble up. People looked at my St. Louis Cardinals and went, well, that's not a good way of doing things. Uh, people are looking at, at contract contact tracing and saying that's not effective. And I think there's a segment of people who were pretty silent who thought the Big Ten did the right thing by saying, look, we don't feel comfortable with these medical protocols being in the upper Midwest. Now, with a little bit of time, they, they have antigen testing, which will give you rapid returns. And the University of Nebraska has invested a lot of money into putting machinery inside East Stadium, Memorial Stadium, to turn these tests around. So that has changed. And now you're seeing, even today, the University of Nebraska announced Fred Hoiberg pulled his team out of a Myrtle Beach tournament and they're going to have a, a kind of a bubble and lake it and bring a lot of uh, major conference schools here in late November. So as we learn things about COVID-19, as testing gets better, as vaccines are, we're, a lot of them are in phase three, as they start coming out, uh, as we develop through flu season, I think everybody will learn how to live in the COVID world. I've, I've never thought this was going to be a six to eight month kind of thing. I really kind of thought this will be kind of a three year process. And I hate to scare you by saying that, but you know, I think we're going to learn how to bump along with this in year one. I think that we'll do better with it in year two. And then in year three, we'll kind of be phasing out into what is kind of normal. But John, I'll tell you what I compare it to. Maybe a lot of your listeners are too young. I'm an old guy now, but there was a day where you could walk on a commercial airline flight and your your girlfriend, your wife, your parents, your kids could basically walk right up to the gate with you. And you could carry on just about anything you wanted on the plane. There was no security, nothing. I mean, there really wasn't. Now, imagine today what you have to go through to get on a commercial airline flight that we all take for granted. You know you're going to have to get to the airport early. You know you're going to have to take your shoes off. You have to take your belt off. You know that you can't carry anything on you want. you, you got to have your ID with you. All these things we take for granted now, that's the world we live in. And there are my kids don't remember, you know, they're in their late 20s. They don't remember a time before that. And I really think that's where we're going to go in the COVID world where even after the pandemic is declared over, I think you're going to see people stay socially distant, six feet apart. I think people are going to, I think you're going to see flu season be better for about a five-year period because people are, are going to naturally continue some of these things. I think I don't bring home coin change anymore because I pay for everything with my phone. I pay for everything electronically. So when it comes to sports, I think we're going to see a lot of changes. I think from our world, from our perspective, we're going to see a shift in how we present these games because it's been proven you don't necessarily have to be at the arena if you've got the right technology. My good friend Debbie Antonelli, has, I think, is, sets the standard for what a home office can be, what she's done with the WNBA. She's got big easels. 
with a bunch of notes. She puts a sign on the door that I'm on the air so her voice can't bother her. But you really, when you when you watch it on TV, you can't tell she's not at the arena. I don't think it'll ever fully replace being live. But I, I think to save some cost, I think that'll happen. I think another thing, and, and again, I'm hurting people like you and me, but uh, for a company like Learfield IMG College, which is huge, has well over 200 contracts. If Michigan plays at Nebraska in women's basketball, Learfield IMG has the college for the Michigan broadcast and the Nebraska broadcast. Why would they have Matt Park, my uh, my peer at Michigan, fly all the way down here to do the same broadcast I'm doing? And why would they have Jeff Reese and I fly to Ann Arbor when he's doing the same broadcast? I think at some point people can look at this and say, you know, they're doing the same broadcast. Why would we have to have both of those from the same company there? So I think you're going to see a lot of things from uh, this pandemic in the world of broadcasting continue on three to five years after this is over you ought to be very interesting you just i guarantee you made a lot of people listening to this cringe because these are the jobs that they are vying for down the road but we're in a world where we're all trying to manage it and we it really is unknown what uh what next spring or even next year or anything like that will look like so we'll all continue to try to navigate through this uh pandemic and and whatever the results are at the end of it, let's talk about your, your broadcast career because you've been at Nebraska for a number of years and uh, a lot with women's basketball. And obviously you've joined the football broadcast over the last uh, several years, but that doesn't only that's not the only defining part of your career. So when you look back, when did you know that this might be something that you wanted to pursue as a career? Seventh grade. I will never forget. I was uh, in the little town of Miller, Missouri, in the southwest part of Missouri, um, on the border of the Missouri Ozarks, a town of 676 people where the junior high and the high school were connected. And I was in a seventh grade English class, and the teacher for that was also the high school newspaper teacher. And because the schools were co-joined and she walked in on day two and said, who here likes sports? And I raised my hand and she said, I have nobody in my high school class who knows anything about sports. Congratulations. You're going to write sports for the high school newspaper as a seventh grader. And so, um, I went to the first high school football game and realized my handwriting was terrible and I couldn't keep up with the game and it was raining. And so my mom said, well, you know, what you need is a tape recorder to put your, to, to record your notes into and you can transcribe them later. So she took me to the Ben Franklin, uh, store on the square in Mount Vernon, Missouri on a Saturday and got me a Panasonic tape recorder with a condenser microphone and a sack of 99 second set tapes. And I sat in stands and I, I started saying, carried by Jones, tackled by Johnson, gain of two. And I realized it wasn't really helping me, and it kind of turned into a play-by-play call. And then I did a basketball game one time, and there was a lady sitting behind me. She says, we love listening to you do these games. How much do you sell those for? And I said, oh, oh no, these aren't for sale. These are my notes. She says, I'll give you $5. I said, sold. At that point, I, I thought, well, maybe I have something here. And then uh, when I got to high school, I went to Kickapoo High in Springfield, Missouri. And then this really was where everything started happening for me. I, I, there was a high school media club. Tony Loudis was my teacher. And uh, cable TV was brand new. If you can imagine, John, uh, a day when cable TV didn't exist. And the city of Springfield had 
turned down in a vote twice getting cable TV. It was so controversial. And the way they, they finally passed it is the cable company had to agree to provide 500 hours of educational programming and put live broadcast lines in every high school, seven high schools, down about the size of Lincoln, Nebraska. We were the closest to the cable station, so they put live lines in, and they came to the media club and said, do anything and everything you can. Put a camera on a parakeet, whatever that you can do to count 500 hours so we can meet our agreement with the city of Springfield. So uh, the first thing I ever did was a wrestling event uh, with one camera with no commercials. Uh, and then uh, I used to do audio only because Springfield Public Schools were concerned we were going to keep people at home, which was kind of funny with, you know, two or three camera remote. But uh, I used to do audio only an entire high school girls invitational tournament. I mean, you're talking 8 a.m. Saturday morning to about 9 o'clock at night, no commercials. You know, the seventh place game between Willow Springs and Purdy, Missouri, audio only, no color analyst. And it was the greatest. And I mean the greatest preparation for me in terms of filling time, being interesting, doing game prep, ad-libbing, learning equipment, learning how to use a mixer, what's a TAC microphone, what's a unidirectional, what's an omnidirectional. You know, I did that for a couple of years, won the Missouri State High School uh, broadcasting championships for two years. And a guy named Rob Evans, who was doing games locally, used to listen to me. Uh, I mean, there was only 13 channels of cable at the time. We were on channel 11. So everybody ran into me. He, he, he came out one night, set in on a game with me. He says, I, I, I like listening to you. I need somebody to be my sideline reporter for high school and college football. We'll pay you 25 bucks a game and free cable. And, and, and that was my first job. I was 18 years old. And it was all because of high school. And I, I'm going to guess, John, I did 150 games my my last two years of high school. Now think about that. I did wrestling, I did volleyball, basketball, football, baseball, everything. Commercial free. And I had the greatest instructor who would, you know, allow us the opportunity to create and invent, experiment. And that's kind of where it all started for me. And that's that's when I knew, hey, I think I could do this. Everybody gets that itch, and then you start to realize this could be a real thing. And you had that moment. So as you went through high school and realized this could be a big thing, and then you wanted to make it a career, what was your what would you say was your big break to actually breaking into uh, the business and and getting real opportunities? A couple of things. And it happened when I was in college at what was then Southwest Missouri State University. They're now Missouri State uh, in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, so uh, Rob Evans was the sports director at Springfield Telecable Channel 4. And uh, so I basically uh, helped him with, I did the third quarter of small college and high school football and would be the sideline reporter in any games. He, he also was the, the play-by-play voice of Southwest Baptist University uh, basketball. So when he would have to go on the road, then I, I'd take over doing a high school game on TV. I mean, three cameras, instant replay. It was a pretty cool deal. I was 18 years old. He then got a job as the play-by-play voice for the San Diego Padres AA team in Beaumont, Texas. And I was named the sports director of Channel 4 in Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> and I had a, a weekly 30-minute interview show with 
you know, a, a lot of local people, but also, you know, people who would come through camp. Bill Burden, the manager of the Astros of Springfield, Missouri. Mark Bailey, who was the catcher for, for him, for the Astros, played at, you know, Southwest Missouri State. Mark Martin, the NASCAR driver. I mean, whoever came through town, I got to interview Doug Williams, uh, the NFL quarterback, Bob Gibson, a lot of the St. Louis Cardinals, Cardinals, Royals, Caravans would come to town. And uh, you, you, you want to talk about, you know, here I am trying to take Psychology 108 in the morning and then go interview Lou Brock in the afternoon as a 19-year-old. I did that along with being on stat crew for Missouri State athletics, football, men's and women's basketball. I went on the road with the baseball team and Keith Gutton's great. Uh, Keith Gutton's first year, I was his SID as a student. And now he's been to a couple of college world series and has done amazing things there. But uh, I got to know the women's basketball program pretty well, typing uh, with a, with a, with a typewriter, typing the statistics at half court and their booster club in 1985 wanted to put their games on radio. The owner of the largest wattage station in Springfield, KTXR, Meyer Communications, 50,000-watt FM stick, were big women's basketball supporters, and they wanted those games on radio. So Art Haynes, who was the media coordinator for Missouri State, and Art had just come back from KRLB in Dallas, where he did what he's doing now for the Kansas City Chiefs, actually. He was the pregame and hosting show host with – Frank Lieber, Vern Lundquist, and Brad Sham on KRLD. Art was the men's play-by-play voice for Missouri State. And he called me one day. I, I'd just come home from class. And he said, Matt, we're going to put Lady Bears basketball on the radio, and we want you to be the play-by-play voice. So at the age of 20, I'm now covering Division One basketball. I was the original play-by-play voice for Southwest Missouri State Lady Bears basketball. And um, – I would say those two things, Rob Evans going to do the San Diego Padres minor league games in Beaumont, Texas, and, and getting that, – that got me on TV full-time. And then getting my first Division One gig hired by Art Haynes were the two big breaks for me. And, and all this happened by the time I was 20 years old. That's amazing. Art is a tremendous uh, talent and, and, and just an awesome guy to be around. I've been fortunate to cross paths with him as uh, South Dakota and Missouri State play each other in the same football conference, but I also listen to him on the Chiefs radio network as a uh, as a big Chiefs fan myself. So just uh, a neat uh, connection there and, and uh, just a great guy, uh, at least the experiences I've had uh, around him. So you got your opportunity there with, with Art Haynes giving you that opportunity How'd you end up at, at Nebraska? Well, you know, um, I was trying to, you know, get through school. You know, my mom and dad died by the time I was 17. So I was trying to get through college by myself and, and did that. But, you know, I, I was really kind of scuffling along. And I, I went in the United States Navy. I wanted to go in the Air Force to get an Armed Forces Radio Television. And true story, the recruiter lied to me and said they didn't have any openings. And they had me cut a radio commercial and maybe a newscast. And he told me the Air Force said I had no talent and no potential to be a broadcaster. And I said, well, according to the University of Missouri at Columbia, I've won two state broadcasting titles and I've, you know, been working in the industry for three years. So, so I was done, you know, with, I, I knew the Air Force lied to me. They just didn't have any openings. They didn't want to tell me, but a friend of mine, his, um, his father was a Navy recruiter and had seen me down the hall and he called me. He said, why didn't you come talk to me? I said, I don't want to be in the Navy. 
I, you don't have armed forces radio and television. He says, no, but I know you took Latin and Spanish in high school, got a great language program. And I went in the Navy and became a Persian Farsi linguist and translated uh, the language that's spoken in Iran and parts of Afghanistan and other parts of the Middle East. And I did that for, for several years um, out of Washington, D.C., and uh, lived there for a while and then um, came back to Springfield in the early 1990s and went back to the Lady Bears uh, radio network uh, and worked with my best friend, Don West. I don't know if you've ever ran into Don, but um, Don and I, we always say we're second generation Art Haynes people. And, you know, at that time, the Lady Bears really had it rolling, just coming off a of Final Four, and we're just getting ready to recruit Jackie Styles, would become the all-time leading scorer in the history of women's college basketball until Kelsey Plum broke that record. But, um, you know, I, I, I had four kids. Uh, my wife at the time, her, her mom had just passed away in Florida. She wanted to be around family. Her sister is, is kind of like a second mom to her and, and lives in the actress. And, um, you know, I, I looked at it and went, well, you know, I'll live anywhere. And I had lived a lot of places. I, I you, you want to be around family? I'll move to, to Nebraska. So we moved to Beatrice, Nebraska. And, John, I thought I was out of broadcasting. You know, I really thought my broadcasting career was over. And uh, while I was there, I started doing just some really odd things for KWBE radio, uh, you know, putting in local commercials on Husker broadcast or covering high school basketball tournaments or going out and covering the, the duck derby, you know, I, I, the, uh, whatever, whatever gonzo thing the radio station had, I was happy to do. And the sports director at the time, Eric Rodewald, saw me and he said, hey, I ran into somebody you might know, Paul Sandiford, the coach of Nebraska women's basketball was down here at maybe a Kiwanis breakfast or, or something where he gave us a talk and Eric said, hey, we got a guy here in town that used to do Division One women's basketball. And Paul said, have him give me a call. And so I called Paul, and he goes, look, Jim Rose is doing our games. And I love Jim, but Jim is going to be going to Kansas City and uh, has to miss quite a few games because Jim at the time was doing a lot of things for, you know, what, at the time what was the Pinnacle Sports Network. And uh, he says, tell me a little bit about yourself. He's like, what I'm looking for is somebody who is a little older, has their own job, doesn't want to be on ESPN, knows the history of women's basketball. And, you know, I reminded Paul that he had beaten us in the Final Four and he had gotten three technicals and thrown out of the Hammond Student Center. <laughs> we had a good talk. And the next thing you know, I did a year of games with Jim Rose until he left for Kansas City. And then I took over play-by-play job for Nebraska in 99-2000. And so now 21 years later, I'm still here. And it was all because of Eric Rodewald just mentioning to Paul Sandiford and Beatrice, hey, we got a guy here in town who might know you. I had no idea, John, at the time, the best part of my broadcasting life was ahead of me. I really thought that was part of my past when I moved to Nebraska. It's funny how life will take you there. No doubt. It's always incredible, and I try to tell people all the time, even when things don't feel like you're they're going your way, keep after it because you never know when a connection uh, might stir something up, and obviously that's what happened with you. And you said you took over doing play-by-play in the 99-2000 season, which means it would have been uh, about your 10-year anniversary then when uh, perhaps the greatest season in Husker women's basketball, an undefeated conference season, uh, a two-loss season, an attempt or a, a, a trip to the Sweet 16, I should say. And obviously they had higher goals than the Sweet 16, but an amazing season. When you look back at that, after everything that you had gone through personally, 
What was special about that season, not only for the team and, and the coaches at Kaniori at the time, but just for you as, as a broadcaster who, who had put so much time into this craft? You know, John, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of asked that question that way because through time, I don't think people really under, understand that I love women's basketball. And, um, my friends are in women's basketball. I remember sitting on a, on a bus with Paul Sandiford one time. And, uh, I said, do you ever want to coach men's basketball? And he told me something that really stuck with what I was doing as a broadcaster. He says, I could coach men's basketball. He says, but when you start down a certain path, your recruiting contacts are in girls basketball, girls AAU, and you just kind of get in the culture and that's your family. And I got to thinking, my goodness, the amount of people I know around this country in women's basketball, they're, they're, they're an extended family for me and they, and they always will be. And so for me to have a season and you know, you have to understand that, that 1985 season when I was so honored to have a division one gig, we won five games. Okay. Cotiori's first season at Nebraska. They won six games. I went through some pretty lean times. So what really made the 2009-2010 season so special were the people. That team had what have become lifelong friends for me. And I'm going to start with Kelsey Griffin, who, you know, arguably the greatest player in school history. You can make a case for Karen Jennings, who won the National Player of the Year. Kind of depends on the era you come from. But, you know, Kelsey is like my third daughter to see what she went through and the changes she made and growing up from an 18 year old girl who was so homesick to being a 22 year old grown woman who put that team on her back and the talks we had unbelievable Dominique Kelly who had the nickname as a freshman, uh, the mayor of Lincoln, who knew everybody and the leadership she had one of the best defensive players just coming out of high school I've ever seen uh, Lindsey Moore, who came out of the state of Washington and is still one of my best friends who really changed the dynamic of what a point guard at Nebraska can be. Vonnie Turner, who had to endure some tough seasons as a point guard, which is not her natural position to becoming the elite defensive player in the Big 12. And then Corey Montgomery, who had to become a really good defender when Kelsey Griffin was hurt the year before that. And Nebraska relied on her and to see her grow. And then bench players, Nikki Bober and Lane Reeves. And uh, I'm going to forget some names here, and I don't want to do that. Kayla Coleman, Tiny Neals. I mean, that was just such an unbelievable group. It was the people, John. And, you know, I knew the year before that that we had something special. We were going to go to a tournament in Hawaii. And you've been there, the 3 a.m. bus ride to the airport, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Teams that get on the bus at 3 in the morning usually don't look very good. But this team, this is when I knew that that was going to be a special group. They were all engaged, excited to see each other. And I remember Kayla Coleman for Christmas had just gotten a, a grilled cheese sandwich maker. And she had taken the time to get up even earlier to make grilled cheese sandwiches for everybody on that bus. And I just thought, that team was about each other. I can point to that one moment right there when I knew this this team has a chance to be so special. So, you know, the Big 12 in those days, that season Nebraska lost in the Sweet 16, got upset to Kentucky. There were two Final Four teams from the Big 12, not Nebraska. Oklahoma and Baylor made the Final Four that Nebraska had beaten 
on their home floors in Waco and in Norman. Think about how tough that Big 12 conference was in Nebraska when undefeated in the regular season. It was, it was, it was magical. Well, it's amazing. And I know we all uh, appreciate those special seasons that, that we get to be a part of. You just detailed building friendships with some of the players on the team and, and anybody who's been around you or knows you, uh, knows that you are very much a, a people person and you care deeply for the people that, that you are around and you build those friendships with coaches, with, uh, the players, uh, with the support staff, anybody that you're around because you spend so much time around these type of people and you've been now with uh, three different head coaches at uh, Nebraska and of course one of them we mentioned Connie Yori's name and she resigned in the in 2016 after that season there were allegations of mistreatment of players which she of course denied and I know that you had a great friendship with her and as a public figure in the radio voice people are going to come to you and, and ask questions how did you handle that? I would imagine it was a very difficult uh, situation for you seeing your friend uh, in Conigliori have to uh, leaving that job at Nebraska, but still having to focus on, on your job and what was next. I've never been asked that question. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate you thinking about me because I know you probably would think in terms of what would you do in that situation. I'll, I'll tell you what happened right when that went down. One, I was blindsided by it. Um, I didn't see it coming, although I had talked to Connie a couple of times that year about possibly taking a year's leave of absence because during this whole time, what nobody knew about what was going on there, she was going through a tremendously wicked marriage breakup. To see what happened to her after you know she was going through this in her personal life was just devastating for me. But I got a phone call from... Uh, our uh, general manager of the Learfield IMG College uh, Husker Sports Network at the time, Chris Davis, uh, who told me, hey, there's going to be a press conference in two hours, and here's what's going on. We're letting you know. And I, for the only time in my life since smartphones have uh, been part of the world, I turned my phone off, John, because I knew what was going to happen. Uh, I then went to the network, and I said, I'm supposed to fill in and be the public address announcer on Husker baseball for Craig Estadio uh, two nights this week. They were playing uh, Minnesota at uh, Hawksfield at Haymarket Park. And I said, there is going to be a lot of reporters up there. And I honestly would not feel comfortable answering those questions. So uh, the network informed the athletic department that they weren't going to let me do that. And they would have to find a fill-in. That's the only time, John, in my life that I've ever not made an assignment in sports. Uh, because I, I did not feel like it would be fair to Connie or to me uh, to put myself in a position to answer questions at the time. Because there was a lot of unknowns. And to be fair, I wanted to make sure that I had a full sense of uh, what the situation was. You know, you can know someone for a long time and maybe not know the story, although I, I did. But it was very tough for me at the time. Uh, I really kind of de-gritted for about a month. I remember that summer, Connie reached out to me and said, you know, she'd like to have lunch. And I said, that'd be great. And I thought, where where in the world could the two of us go in Lincoln, Nebraska? And I found a place, and we went kind of in a back corner, kind of real kind of a hush-hush kind of thing. And that was, it took three months after this went down 
uh, before I got a chance to talk to her. It was a very emotional two hour lunch. Connie is, is, um, you know, as you pointed out, and I appreciate your warm words about me. I am all about relationships and, uh, she's a friend first and, you know, trying to get a sense of, you know, what all went down there was very tough for me because, you know, the people who had put her in a position of, of, uh, her having to resign are also friends of mine. You know, you work with them and, you know, the, in what you and I do, it's sports and it's fun until it becomes a business and it is a business. And when that hits you in the face, it's tough to deal with sometimes. I've been pretty lucky in my life of seeing some very good friends of mine get fired or get forced to resign. While, you know, I think I would have handled that a little differently if I'd have been in my twenties or thirties, but being a guy in, in my late forties, early fifties, when that went down, it was probably uh, easier to handle in terms of thinking a little clearer, clearer. But John, I got to tell you, it's very tough. And I, I did to answer your question. I did uh, kind of degrid for a while and get myself away because, you know, one, you had the media. Here's, here's the thing. Do you consider yourself media when you're the play by play voice of a team? I, I do not. No. Okay. Yeah, I don't either, but a lot of people do. And I'll, I'll give you a great story about why I knew I had to degrid here, if you'll allow me. But back when I was at uh, Telecable of Springfield after Rob Evans left and before I got the Lady Bears jobs, this is 1984, I'm 19 years old, the television contract for the Tier 3 rights for uh, Missouri State Men's Basketball went to a local ABC affiliate. And they had hired what, what I could best describe as a guy who was like a Howard Cosell type, not really a play-by-play guy, not really a color analyst, but a commentator to do play-by-play. And he was really out of his league, and the fans hated it. And they fired him after about three games. So one night I was I was at a Parkview High School in Springfield, Missouri, to call a high school game on TV. And a sports writer who I considered a friend, much like the relationship you and I have, I would say, was there. And he just started talking to me, didn't tell me this was an interview. And he said, what do you think about this guy getting fired? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, well, I said he was probably put in a bad position. It's probably best for everybody. He said, well, do you think you're a candidate for the job? I'm like, oh, heavens no. I'm 19 years old. I'm a college student. Are you kidding me? The next morning. There is an article above the fold in the Springfield paper with a big picture of me that says, Cody, I am not a candidate for the Bears job. In an exclusive interview with the newspaper, Telecable Sports Director Matt Cody said he is not a candidate. And so Bill Rowe, I don't know if you've ever met Bill Rowe, the longtime athletic director at Missouri State, used to be the head of the Division One baseball committee, called me into his office. He's like, why do you think you're a candidate for this job? And I said, Bill, I don't think I am. He goes, well, you talked to the newspaper. And I said, I was just talking there. I didn't think that was an interview. And it, I learned something there, John, that, you know, you have to be careful with traditional media. And, and that's why I'm glad you said what you said. I don't consider myself to be traditional media. So when this thing went down with Connie, I kind of based on some of the things I had seen, I knew I could say something very innocently. And it could end up looking wrong. So the best thing for me to do is not say anything and not put myself in a position to say the wrong thing, to protect everybody. And there was nothing that needed protecting. There, there were a lot of emotions at the time. And so I, I'm really glad you asked me that. No one's ever asked me that question. It was a tough time for me, no question about it. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And and uh, sometimes the best lessons in life we learn the hard way. And, of course, obviously now we know that story uh, from, from your Missouri State days, and, and it uh, is something that 
uh, helped guide you through uh, different times in, in your broadcast career when you dealt with um, certain situations. Uh, so I think a lot of people can learn uh, from, from your situation and your story as well. In addition to your women's basketball play-by-play duties, You've spent the last, I want to say, seven or eight years uh, as a big part of the football broadcast. And as uh, you like to, uh, I think, make light of a little bit on social media, a very lengthy pregame show, halftime show, and, of course, your postgame show as well. Very lengthy broadcast day for Husker football. When you were presented that idea and that opportunity, what was your reaction to, to that opportunity? You know, like much of my broadcast career, it kind of fell backwards into my lap. Um, and, and thanks for noting that I do, uh, make light of our 12 and a half hour, uh, football broadcast. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that I've been in committed relationships that didn't last as long as our football broadcast. You know, I've, I've been around the network and this is my eighth year. You have that right. So thank you. Um, you know, I'd been with the network for what about 12, 13 years when, uh, Jeff Colhane got pulled off of our broadcast and, and what a great broadcaster. He's, he's had a great career, but West Virginia sold their rights to IMG college and they got sued for not because they're a state university for not doing the request for proposal on RFP. And so, that got solved two weeks before the football season. So IMG had to throw together a broadcast and they came and basically stole Jeff Colhane from Nebraska two weeks prior to the football season. And so our network was kind of in a position like, well, we need somebody to fill in until we can get a full-time person in here. And they asked me, can you fill in until we get this? And I'm like, okay, you know, because I, I, the one, the one thing about it is, when you're involved with an organization, even though you're not doing that sport, you know the producers, you know the talent, you know the people. So I was, I was a pretty, I don't want to say I was their only choice, but <laughs> maybe I was, but yeah, I did know, you know, where the refrigerator was in the break room, for lack of a better term. So I could put my finger in the dike and keep the dam from busting for two weeks on the Husker football broadcast. And they hired somebody. They had him set in with me week three, and they were going to announce him on a Thursday as the new host of Sports Nightly and the football studio anchor and all of this. And I thought I was done with this. I got a phone call on a Thursday of, of this day at 10 o'clock and said, this guy's wife has convinced him that this isn't a good move for them. And he is turning down the job. And can you host the talk show tonight? Can you host it tomorrow night live from the Nebraska bookstore? And can you continue through the end of September, at least on the football broadcast? And at that point, the Husker Sports Network, uh, the alliteration of that right then was being looked at for a takeover from a uh, major national corporation. So they had a hiring freeze. And so I was asked to stay on the broadcast through the end of the year. And at the end of the year, they went, yeah, that went really well. Why don't you just stay there? That's how it happened. It wasn't like I begged somebody, please put me on this football broadcast. Uh, if, if the gentleman who got hired, if his wife hadn't had a change of heart, I'd know me only as the voice of Nebraska women's basketball. So it, it, that, that and the hiring freeze and, that that's how it happened, you know. It's it, it it's really kind of funny how everything in my broadcasting life is just kind of 
kind of turned. I remember on Seinfeld one uh, one night, Jerry Seinfeld was talking about how Cosmo Kramer falls backwards into everything good in his life, and I'm like, well, that's pretty much been my broadcasting life. <laughs> You're the fill-in that uh, that won't go away, apparently, but yeah. it's worked out. It's worked out for you. So uh, I asked you what was your reaction to that. So here's your transition. Speaking of reaction, you also host Big Red Reaction, which can be a challenge during tough years of Husker football, as you have found out. It's a fan call-in show for those who may not be uh, aware. How do you handle that show, especially at times when you have callers who may, shall we say, toe the line a little bit? Well, I tell people that hosting Big Red Reaction is the perfect combination of hosting the Jerry Springer Show and the Gong Show. Okay. There are people who tune into our show just specifically to see how bad, and by that I mean comical, the callers are when people aren't trying to be funny. We have some people who maybe have a little bit too much Husker juice before they call in. Again, this show is a two and a half hour show that comes on after a 10 hour football broadcast. So I have to be at my best. Think about this. What other job do you know? where you have to be at your best when you're 10 hours into your workday. So that's the first thing about Big Red Reaction is it's a marathon. But this is what I live by, John. This is not Matt Coatney Reaction. This is Big Red Reaction. There's going to be a lot of different opinions. My job is to moderate. Generally, if there's a question about football, my wonderful co-host, Steve Taylor, who is just one of my best friends, I tend to let him dig into that. If it's kind of a non-football-related thing, like how come they can't get the popcorn to be warm in the North Stadium, I will take that immediately. I try not to challenge a caller uh, unless they absolutely uh, deserve it. I'll give you an example of, of why I think a caller deserves to be challenged. Back when Mike Riley was struggling here as the head coach, a caller called in and he said, Look, you all are yelling about Mike Riley. The problem here is Harvey Perlman, who was a chancellor at the time. Everybody he's ever hired has been a disaster. The athletic director is a disaster. Bill Callahan was a disaster. Steve Peterson was a disaster. Everybody he hired has been a disaster. I said, sir, you're telling me that Harvey Perlman has never made one good hire. That's right, Matt. I said, you're telling me Harvey Perlman has never made a good hire here. He said, that's right, man. I said, then you're telling me you disagree with him bringing Tom Osborne back to be athletic director five years ago. And the guy said, well, no, that was good. I said, no, 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 no. I asked you three times and you repeat it. He goes, no, no, man, you're putting words in my mouth. I'm like, no, no, really I'm not. I, I can rewind the tape and let you. That's the only time that I'll challenge a caller when I think they're being unfair personally. Look, it, everything is open to criticism. If you're going to be a football coach, I think you're open to that. Uh, if you're going to be an athletic administrator, you're open to criticism until it becomes personal. And, and then I try to deflect that. I also try to make it funny if I can. I think, uh, look, it's radio. John, what you and I are trying to do is to keep people from hitting the seat button. That's what I tell people all the time. Our advertisers deserve that. The network deserves that. The university deserves that. So at the end of the day, I'm not trying to be a historically accurate representation of the game, although I like to think I am, but I'm trying to be good radio. And the callers make that show. 
And so I try and balance letting people go, not letting them go too long, keeping it interesting, keeping it funny, but also having a really good talk about football because there's a significant amount of fans who really want to talk football. And it's a, it's, it's a balancing act, but uh, there's also a lot of coffee involved, my friend. <laughs> no doubt. I would imagine if you got to be your best 10, 10 hours in, then yeah, you got to be a uh, coffee drinker, I would certainly imagine. Your listeners have uh, come become accustomed to the phrase, you betcha, and they know that when that is uh, being shouted through their radio, that means a big shot from long range has just happened for the Huskers. So you betcha. It's become your three-point call. Do you remember how that started? Was it something that you had thought of, or is it something that happened and then stuck? Again, as I, I, I hate to make everybody think that I fell backwards into everything, but the, here's another one. Uh, during the 1994 uh, Missouri State at the time, Southwest Missouri State season, uh, I was doing games with Don West, my best friend, and Melody Howard, uh, set the ends or tied the NCAA record uh, that was held by Danielle Viglione of Texas at the time with 11 three pointers in a game. Okay. On her 10th three pointer, Don West says, Can she hit another one? You betcha she did. Okay. We remember that the two of us. It's kind of a thing the two of us did. So we've got a, a dog game back in about 2005, back when. You could pretty much start listening to anything on the internet, you know, like, like audio streaming is very common now, but kind of a new thing back then. And I knew Don West was listening in in Springfield, Missouri. And I don't know if you do this. I know a lot of broadcasters do this, but if I know someone's listening, I'll try and say a phrase that's specific to them that they know that's kind of like, you know, you remember Carol Burnett on CBS? She used to tug her ear to let her, you know, her, her mom know, I think, that, hey, I'm thinking about you. So I knew Don was listening. So I knew there was a big three-pointer. I'm like, ah, oh, if I give it a big you betcha call, he, he's going to know that's for him. So I do that. I come home, and my son says, my, my old son Nate was listening. He says, hey, you need to stay with that three-point call. And I said, what three-point call? He says, that you betcha. I'm like, I don't even remember saying it, okay, honestly. So I come in to the next game, and Abby Swatsworth, who sits two rows behind the scores table, has made a you betcha song. And I'm like, what? And then Diane Stewart uh, from Aurora showed up with uh, a different you betcha sign. This one read and asked me to sign it. Okay. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the D-U-M-M dumbest guy in every room I'm in, but I'm not stupid. So I started doing this. And uh, after I did this for about a year, we're we're playing Oklahoma, and Kelsey Griffin hits a big free throw to clinch the game. Wait, and I said, this one to clinch the game. Can Kelsey clinch the game? You betcha she can. Okay, so I, I used it on a free throw, right? The next game, a lady, probably in her 80s, came up and started shaking her finger at me and said, I don't understand anything about basketball, but I know when you say you betcha, we hit a three-pointer. And I told everybody, Kelsey Griffin hit a three-pointer to win the Oklahoma game, and they told me it was a free throw, and I was wrong. And I went, oh, my gosh. John, it has become, I think, 21 printings of T-shirts. It's been said on ESPN when Jordan Hooper played for Team USA in the games in Russia. 
It's a Valentine's Day card. It's a video. It it has become the phrase of our program, and it started as a joke. It started as my little, hey, my best friend's listening. I could have said it. I could have said rutabaga, okay? But you know what's great about it? Don went in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame this past February, and I I, I was so happy to be there. It's something we share together. Um, he, he, he loves telling the story about how it's his three point call and no one knows it. Uh, you know, when Amy Williams, your dear friend came to Nebraska, you know, she immediately caught on. She's like, you know, we've got something that people can identify our program with. Thank you for this. Uh, it's so special to me. And what I love about it is the fans love it. You know, you can try to develop something. And, you know, I remember, again, I'm going to bring up Seinfeld here, but there was an episode where George Costanza tried to invent a nickname. He wanted everybody to call him Bulldog, and no one wanted to. I can't tell the fans, hey, be excited about this. It has to evolve. And this this just evolved like I could have never imagined. It, it changed my life. There's no doubt about it. And I'm so happy that when people hear that phrase in the world of women's basketball, they know they're talking about Nebraska. Yeah, well, it's good to know that uh, you you were uh, scolded for using the phrase at the <laughs> <laughs> at the wrong time because <laughs> that that's fantastic. And I, I I've seen merchandise, shirts, and mugs, and everything. And I even saw I think at last year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but last year, Nebraska women's basketball had a You Betcha bundle for a ticket package as well. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they, they did. This is, that's amazing. And I'm sure a very, very, uh, surreal thing for you to, to watch that all come together, but it's fantastic. And Amy Williams was right. It's something that women's basketball fans at Nebraska identify with and identify the, uh, program with just as they identify uh, you with the program and uh, the the one uh, the thing I want to end on here uh, taking up a lot of your time and enough of your time but I know that uh, Jeff Grice you mentioned his name at the beginning of our conversation he's been a big part of your broadcast uh, for a number of years as well and and uh, not everybody has an analyst especially in in women's basketball and perhaps at the power five level it's probably more common. Uh, that you see that uh, then then maybe at the level some of us are at but nonetheless you and Jeff have a tremendous uh, relationship and and uh, great friendship how important has that been to have somebody that you have been able to uh, connect with on so many different levels be a part of your broadcast and get you through uh, some of these not only seasons but these games when there's a late trip or early morning or I've seen you uh, do football work in the middle of a broad, uh, basketball tournament before a basketball game as well. So I, I know there's a lot to it. I would imagine having somebody that you connect with, like Jeff Greish, uh, who's been on, on your broadcast, I'm sure that helps a lot. I will tell you that any success I've had here um, is 50% because of Jeff. Uh, he understands me better than anyone who's not a blood relative of mine. We've been roommates on the road for all this time. Uh, he's a fascinating story because he's the media relations director for the team. He was on the first male practice team that was allowed after the NCAA 
uh, approved that back in the mid 1990s. You know, a really good uh, basketball player at Wayne, Nebraska High School, Jeff Grease was, and you know he could have been a coach, could should have been a coach. I really think. And, you know, he's very competitive. You know, if you ever read his game notes, which I think are the best in the nation, he writes them like he's breaking down the game as a coach. And he understands me to know what I want in the broadcast. If you'll notice, there's very rarely any dead air because he can read when I'm going to stop talking. And and if we ever do trip over each other, it's easily because I screwed up. He reads me that well. I'll tell you this, John, I, I'm going to say there's a lot of play-by-play people who couldn't work with Jeff because Jeff needs room. And usually the color analyst on radio for basketball doesn't get room. But I think Jeff needs that room because he has so many good things to say that it forces me. And I, and I, I thought about this very early on. I wouldn't have been able to work with Jeff when I was in my 20s because I would have been like, well, where's my room here? You know, kind of like Summerall with Madden. I, I, I have to look at this and go, how can I adjust to a guy who needs room? And it made me a better play by play announcer. It really did. I don't think I would have the following in Nebraska I had without Jeff Grease because he made me better. He and I look at things so similarly. We kind of come at it from a different way, but we have the greatest conversations about life, kids, really everything in the world. And so, the broadcast we do, and, and I truly mean this, we have never one time talked about how we're going to start that broadcast or what the storylines are. And he kind of likes it because he never knows how I'm going to bring him in during the opening. But he goes, you always take me exactly where I wanted to be. So he and I are, 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 are so together and, and he's like, a, he's like a brother to me. He's, He's everything. I, when, when people start talking about, and, and you know, I'm brought on onto shows like this and talk about my career, I have to credit Jeff Grease because I would not be talking to you without him. Well, it's amazing to have that uh, relationship and partnership, and I know that uh, a lot of people who have experienced that in their lives can uh, certainly uh, understand having a broadcast partner um, like that. Matt, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you, and I, I so greatly appreciate uh, your time. You've been kind to give us uh, a lot of your time and kind of share your stories and experiences, and uh, you and I have, have been able to uh, grow a relationship over the last several years, and I'll tell you, it was very surreal to me. Um, the first year, I believe, I was doing the University of South Dakota women's basketball, and we played at Nebraska. And uh, for for when I reached out to you when I was in college, and, and we communicated, and and first uh, got to know one another a little bit, to return and, and sit down the table uh, from you was a very surreal moment for me. And I know a lot of people I have experienced that with with people they consider mentors. So that was a, a big moment for me. And uh, it's just great to have you on this this podcast and the show and to talk to you about your experiences, because uh, I know that uh, you're always willing to to help people out. And it's been a, a big part of my career as well. So uh, greatly appreciate your time. I, I can't thank you enough for, for what you've given. Uh, John, I'm so proud of you, and uh, you know you're you're very gregarious with your warm words, there, and you know you you uh, were very effusive in your praise of when you got to do those games with me. Like I'm just going to tell you this: you, you, you're a great broadcaster. You've done it right. You've paid your dues. Uh, you know, uh, I will tell you 
that I felt a little bit of intimidation when Amy Williams came here because she had such a glowing uh, description of her relationship with you that even though I've been doing this for a hot minute, uh, I needed to step my game up uh, so that Amy Williams was having at a minimum the same level of professionalism she had with you because you ser- certainly set the bar very high. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. I think you're doing a great job. I hope that doesn't sound wrong to say that I'm proud of you, but I really am for what you've accomplished. You're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate you saying that and and, uh, all that stuff. Greatly appreciate it. Again, thanks so much for your time. It's always fun to have the conversation. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Say the Damn Score podcast. Thanks to Matt Coatney and John Thayer for filling in when I was unavailable and giving me just a little bit more time to regather and regroup and get back up on the horse during this difficult time. Please subscribe to this podcast on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. Also, please share this show uh, with your friends and other broadcasting professionals however you feel like it, but the easiest way is on your favorite social media outlet. Our Twitter is at Radio underscore Logan or at Say the Damn Score on Instagram. Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated, and it really helps me to make the show better. Last, please reach out to both the guests, Matt Coatney, as well as John Thayer, uh, the guest host, and let them know that you appreciate them taking their time, sharing their stories, and interview prowess on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.